Hello, everyone, and welcome to Headwise, the video cast and podcast of the National Headache Foundation. I'm Dr. Lindsay Weitzel. I'm the founder of Migraine Nation, and I have a history of chronic and daily migraine that began at the age of four. I am excited and honored to be here today with Dr. Don Buse. Hello, Dr. Buse. Thank you for being here. Hello, Dr. Weitzel. Thanks for having me again. So, most everyone knows that Dr. Buse is a clinical professor of neurology and a psychologist who specializes in headache. She is very well known and respected in our community and as a researcher and clinician. And I get excited every time I have a chance to record with her. So today, our topic is why should I work with a pain psychologist and when should I do so? I think this is really important because Sometimes we feel like we are sort of getting pawned off to pain psychology. Maybe if our doctor, we feel like, oh gosh, our doctor can't, my doctor can't fix me. So he's telling me to go to pain psychology. A lot of people don't know what happens there, how they can help us or what aspects of different things that we've already tried on apps and stuff are going to occur there. So we're going to ask the expert, we're going to ask Dr. Buse exactly how pain psychology can help us. And I can't wait to hear what she has to say. Dr. Buse, this is your area of expertise. I might not talk as much as usual because I'm so curious <laughs> about everything you're going to say. So please quickly just remind everyone why you're so motivated to work in this field. What a great question. Well, <laughs> I love working with people with migraine and chronic conditions and chronic pain because there are a lot of things that we can do in addition to the terrific medications and intervention, interventional treatments that we have. There's a lot of things we can do that are behaviorally, lifestyle, psychologically, um, and other ways focused that can really make a big difference. In fact, mm -hmm. um, one of the first people that I got very excited about when I was back in my training in graduate school and thinking about internship, thinking about specialties, John Kabat-Zinn had published some research on mindfulness-based stress reduction for low back pain. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought that was really exciting to see how you could add on to medication, surgeries, everything that would be done in a medical setting. Hey, can add this extra element and get to good outcomes. And even before that, Herbert Benson, a cardiologist at Harvard Medical School, Massachusetts General Hospital, started talking about different personality types and examining transcendental meditation for cardiac health and other health and well-being. So I always thought this was very exciting to think about how could we see real health benefits that are scientifically measurable that may complement medications, may stand alone for chronic conditions. And I really am passionate about helping people live well with chronic conditions, of which we know migraine is a chronic condition. Mm -hmm. It generally kind of comes on in, in childhood, adolescence, maybe young adulthood. And for most people, stays with them for many decades. So it may not be lifelong, but it is long, longer term. Right. And so I really got excited about the idea of helping people still live lives to the best extent that they could, still enjoying their life, achieving goals they want to achieve, be it work, school, family, social, personal, and living lives that they want to and deserve to live to the best of their ability. So as a health psychologist, that's really a focus of mine. 
So I love the way you worded that. And I might ask something that I didn't know I was going to ask. Now that you said it that way, I think that some of the frustration that some patients have who've been in a great deal of pain, whether it be with migraine or some other condition, is that people might talk to us in a way like all we have to do is try these things, whether it be cognitive mm. behavioral therapy, some sort of mindfulness, and we're going to be cured. And mm -hmm. you just worded it very different. And so I think that a lot of people talk to us like we've done something completely wrong and yes. we need to just do these types of therapies and then we're going to be cured. Can you comment on that? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's very easy to feel like the message you're hearing from the healthcare professional or from us on these podcasts or from other people is saying, you are still having migraine attacks because you are not doing X, Y, and Z, managing your stress well enough or getting good enough sleep or exercising enough. When we know that's not the case. Mm -hmm. As a reminder, migraine is a chronic neurologic condition. Mm -hmm. These waves keep coming. You cannot stop the waves from coming in the ocean. Um, but as John Kabat-Zinn said, you can learn how to surf. Mm -hmm. Even with our best treatments for migraine, medication, neurostimulation, behavioral, we get pretty excited when we help people reduce their attacks by 50%. Um, and even less sometimes is enough for medications or other treatments to be approved. Right. We get really excited if we help people reduce their attacks by 75%. And it's very rare to see eliminating attacks altogether by a treatment. Now, there are times in life when migraine attacks kind of change in frequency. We kind of have these waves. We have waves of frequency and intensity at different times of life. Um, it may be better during pregnancy for someone and then maybe worse post-pregnancy, postpartum. Maybe uh, better on the weekends and worse during the week. Maybe better during summer, worse during the fall, or it may be better in certain decades of later life and, and, and more, more intense earlier in life. So we do have waxing and waning of migraine frequency, severity, and symptomatology. Most people notice some of that. Sometimes it's due to treatment, but a lot of times it is just the nature of migraine. And that leads to all this uncertainty. Mm -hmm. And we as humans don't like uncertainty. And migraine is a condition of uncertainty. These attacks yeah. are going to strike largely without much warning and largely without what may seem like rhyme or reason. I think that's one reason why we all look so much for triggers and patterns. Right. So anything we can predict, anything we can control, anything we can change. And we do our best to use all of our data to try to do that. But anything I say today does not mean that migraine is your fault or that right. you are not managing it well enough. Right. At the same time, I still want to tell you everything we've learned that can help calm mm -hmm. this very hyperactive, responsive nervous system mm -hmm. that is part of living with migraine. So this is not blaming someone for not doing well enough, but we do want to also offer every strategy in the book we've got that can help we want to offer. Right. So I can personally say that I was so sick my whole life before the age of 30 that I, I think most people would find it difficult to comprehend. And, and then when they look at me now, they're like, oh, how much sicker were you? Um, a lot sicker is the answer. <laughs> and and mm -hmm. um, I exercise every day. I meditate every day. I do do all these things. These are part of 
my toolkit. And so I understand how frustrating it can be because people still to this day look at me and they're like, well, gosh, if you would just read a book on mindfulness, you would be better. So I wanted to go ahead and uh, address that elephant in the room because I know so many of us, we hear that. So let's go ahead. I'd like to hear in your own words, can you just tell us what the role of a pain psychologist is for the person with migraine or another type of debilitating head pain? Absolutely. So a pain psychologist, health psychologist, there's not a whole lot of headache psychologists, but someone who specializes in behavioral therapy for migraine or other chronic illnesses is going to do a, a set of techniques, education, and support. Mm -hmm. It's going to be maybe similar if you've gone to cognitive behavioral therapy before for, for anything in life, for mm -hmm. depression or anxiety or getting through a traumatic period of life. It's going to have some very similar elements. So it's going to have the cognitive behavioral therapy element, which is looking at both thoughts and how thoughts reflect outcomes and really can, can change how we feel and how we perceive things, as well as behaviors. In migraine, there's about half a dozen behaviors that really do matter for keeping this nervous system balanced and calm as much as possible. And that is going to be the healthy, regular sleep, the nutritious diet and staying hydrated, a low inflammation diet, managing stress. Again, we cannot often control the stressful things in life that happen, but we can control how we react to them and what they mean to us. Uh, movement, exercise, social support. There's going to be kind of a core set of things we focus on. We're not going to focus on all of them. We're probably going to start with one area and we're going to use cognitive behavioral techniques to really enhance success. We're going to use stepwise goals, leveling up, looking at challenges, looking at barriers, right. really figuring out how to help someone optimize their adherence and their motivation. Mm -hmm. So that's going to be some of the elements of cognitive behavioral therapy. Okay. We're also going to have elements of relaxation therapy. Relaxation therapy may include things such as diaphragmatic breathing, paced breathing, guided visual imagery. The idea here is that we are calming the nervous system. Mm -hmm. And then in some cases, we may bring in biofeedback. Mm -hmm. Biofeedback is always valuable, but not everyone has the biofeedback equipment or the training. If right. you can get biofeedback, it's really interesting. If you've never, it's just really cool to try. So basically you're going to be bio, your biology is going to be fed back to you. You're going to get feedback in the form of a visual on the computer or printout sounds. And you're going to be hooked up to some different monitors. So maybe muscle tension of the forehead or the jaw, the neck and shoulders, um, finger temperature. Finger temperature is how we measure circulation of blood throughout the body. We also mm -hmm. measure relaxation. When we're in the fight, flight, or freeze mode, right. our blood kind of comes to our major muscles. So if, in case we had to run away or fight, we're ready to do that. Your hands and your feet and your nose, they're going to get cold because they're not getting a lot of blood to them because they're not essential during that dangerous time. So what you're going to do is in biofeedback, get hooked up to finger temperature, respiratory rate, maybe a belt around your, your abdomen, kind of watch your breathing, going to try to do some nice paced, steady breathing. Um, the muscle tension, the galvanic skin response, that's goosebumps and sweaty palms, goes up really fast. Mm -hmm. And then it kind of comes down. 
So it's really interesting. You get hooked up to these different leads and you're sitting here with all these leads on. And then I might say, you know, Lindsay, um, you know, how was your, how was your day at work today? And you might say, oh, it was okay. And then I'm going to look at the screen. I'm going to see it go. I'm going to see your GSR, your galvanic skin response went down and your, you went up and your finger temperature is dropping down and your muscle tension's increasing and your breathing rate's getting rapid and shallow. And I'm going to say, oh, okay, let's look at how your body reacted to that question. Mm-hmm. So what's really interesting in biofeedback is you don't even have to talk to me. You can just sit and think some different thoughts and watch your physiology, watch your body respond. And it's very helpful because sometimes we realize how much distress our body is in, even when our mind doesn't think that we're at that level of stress. Right. You know, humans are able to worry about things that happened in the past, rumination, things that might even happen in the future, you know, pre-ictal anxiety as well as what's going on right now. We're able to worry in all sorts of different directions. Um, But unfortunately, those thoughts and worries have the real response on our body. They really engage the fight, flight, or freeze system. And that we call it the sympathetic nervous system. When that is activated, you're going to feel nervous, anxious. You're not going to get the same good blood supply. Your digestion's going to slow down. You're not getting the good deep breaths and oxygen. So it's really important with biofeedback. You learn to notice when there's tension in your body mm-hmm. and you learn ways to monitor and release that tension diaphragmatic breathing, maybe something like progressive muscle relaxation, which is a really easy exercise where we kind of go through different muscles of the body. We hold them and tense them. You know, I would tense the bicep and then you'd let it go. Right. I feel it nice and warm. We would do that from muscles in the top of the head down to the bottom of the toes. Your whole body's going to feel nice and warm and relaxed, like warm spaghetti noodles. Um, (laughs) These are all things that we'll do in pain psychology or headache psychology. So we're gonna do some CBT, some biofeedback and relaxation, or at least body awareness and relaxation, some breathing training. You're gonna learn different skills for your toolbox. You're gonna learn when to apply them. And then if you're working with an individual psychologist like myself, it's gonna be very personalized. We might start to look at your migraine patterns. This could be the same if it was chronic pain, another chronic episodic condition. We're going to look at your patterns, your responses. How's it affecting work? How's it affecting school? How's it affecting, are you a parent? How's it affect your relationship with your children? Do you have a partner, a spouse, significant other? Are you dating? Are you wanting to date? We can talk about all those things in the context of the impact of migraine on them. But what's going to make this pain psychology kind of time limited, probably six, eight, 10, 12 sessions, probably between six and 12. Okay. It's going to make this different than going to a psychologist to talk about, let's just say dating per se, or family relationships or marital distress or generalized anxiety or a traumatic childhood history, PTSD or depression. If we were going for those things, those would be the focus. Right. Here, we're going to teach a lot of skills still and do a lot of work that is going to help all those things. Right. Those things are not necessarily the focus. They don't nest and you don't have to have any of those things to come to, to a pain psychology or a migraine psychology behavioral therapy program. Okay. So we're not going to talk much about childhood or the past. Um, we're going to stay pretty focused on the here and now. 
and it's going to be time limited. There's going to be a time when we say, Interesting. you have okay. learned this, you've mastered it, you're ready, off you go. So it's going to be time limited as well. Okay, I have a few questions then. So I bet some of the people listening are thinking, I have this app that I'm using at home for CBT and this one I'm using for mindfulness. I'm meditating with this one, stress relief. We even have some that do biofeedback at home now. So how is this experience different? Is there a, is there a talk therapy component that helps? Will I get feel effects quicker if I go into a pain psychologist and do all this? Um, so how is the experience different from stuff that we can reproduce at home with various apps and books, et cetera? Yeah. Well, there are some terrific apps out there mm -hmm. today. There's mm -hmm. some cool things that wearables can do. Mm -hmm. There's some classic books that cost $20 that are still top notch, like right. the stress reduction and relaxation book for $20 really teaches you a lot of things I teach you mm -hmm. in the session. So right. I'm going to say that those are all really good things because they're accessible. Mm -hmm. You do them on your own time, your own schedule. The mm -hmm. cost is usually much more reasonable. A lot of the apps are around $10 a month, if not less or even free. Mm -hmm. So I love that this is getting a lot more people the opportunity to try something. Mm -hmm. Start to learn mindfulness, start to learn meditation, try mm -hmm. biofeedback on your phone. Mm -hmm. That's all great. And I encourage all of that. Mm -hmm. As long as it's not too expensive, you can afford it. Really terrific. I love that people are able to explore more, start to learn to monitor their physiology, learn some of the strategies that we would teach. If you have a chance to do an in-person or group session with an actual psychologist or other kind of mental health provider. It could be an occupational therapist, could be a social worker, um, mm -hmm. could be um, a couple other types of providers as well who can do a top-notch job. Um, go for it. I mean, it's the Ferrari of I see. Okay. the biobehavioral therapies because right. it's going to be specialized, personalized to you, tailored to you. I'm going to hook you up with exactly the leads that you like. I'm going to ask you in your relaxation, where do you want to go? We're going to go exactly where you want to go, whether it's floating in the hot springs in Iceland or it's on a beach in Tahiti or wherever, you know, a mountain cabin in, in, in Colorado. We're going to go wherever mm -hmm. you want to go. It's going to be personalized. I'm going to watch your physiology change on my screen right there. I'm going to say right there, what just happened right there? I saw a blip. Mm -hmm. You're going to say, oh. I was worried about X, Y, and Z, and I felt the tension come back. It's going to be oh, personalized. Okay. Like, um, so you may do a course of, of pain psychology, a targeted biobehavioral treatment for migraine, which may be up to maybe, as I said, up to about 12 sessions. And you may have done that a couple of years ago. And now you may maintain it with the help of the apps, the mindfulness apps, the meditation apps, the relaxation apps, the, the wearables. Now you've done some biofeedback. You may know when your wearable now says, oh, you know, your heart rate's going up or, right. or time to stand up. You're right. going to have already had that basis. Now, it's not always easy to find providers. There's not a mm -hmm. whole lot of providers who have expertise in um in, in headache psychology, there are more providers around the country with expertise in pain psychology. Um, if you go to one of the big headache centers, you might 
be really lucky that they actually right. have a multidisciplinary program where their psychologist is right in the center who works side by side with your neurologist and your physical therapist and they all talk to each other when they're refilling their coffee. I mean, that's wonderful. Right. Um, there's only so many of those places in the U.S. and that's okay or, or around the world. There's actually some beautiful centers or, uh, around the world as well, but there's only so many. So if you don't have that kind of experience and you'd like to find pain psychology, headache psychology, and you can't exactly find someone in your plan who their profile says headache psychology, right. you can look for a couple things. You can look for someone who's proficient in biofeedback Okay. They're going to be able to teach you a lot of the skills. Someone who lists, as I said, pain psychology, someone who lists health psychology, can be able to teach you a lot of the skills. Okay. Um, as well as someone who's just very strong in cognitive behavioral therapy. Those are going to be key words. Okay. And okay. most pain psychology or biofeedback, health psychology. And what was the third thing? Um, pain. Okay. Or cognitive behavioral therapy. Okay. All of those providers are going to be okay. in the right area with the right. same kind of similar background. They may not have the same depth of knowledge about migraine that perhaps I might have or, mm-hmm. or some of my, my colleagues who are really mm-hmm. expert headache psychologists, but that's okay. You can bring the expertise about migraine. If this is the person you can find who's mm-hmm. in your plan and available and close enough by, that's okay. Um, okay. I would hate to say don't go just because you can't right. find someone who you feel is, is expert enough. Um, right. You're going to learn a lot from working with someone with that background. Okay. So let me ask you a question that might be coming up for some people. What if, um, you know, for whether who knows what came first, the chicken or the egg, but if someone has really severe migraine, chronic migraine, it's really impacting their work, their ability to parent or whatnot, everything in their life. So they've got, whether it be anxiety or depression or both is really affecting them badly along with their pain. Should they Mm -hmm. go to a pain psychologist? Are they going to receive help for their anxiety and depression too? Are they, do they need to go elsewhere first? Well, the same skills and strategies that we're going to use for pain psychology or mm-hmm. biobehavioral treatment of migraine are going to be very similar to what is used for depression and anxiety. Okay. So there's going to be a lot of benefit for depression, anxiety, quality of life, um, even other conditions like, like PTSD. There's okay. going to be a fair amount of okay. beneficial kind of, uh, you know, downstream waterfall that happens okay. because they they all benefit. Also, we find that when people are successfully treated for migraine for any way, whether it is a medication, whether it's a neurostimulation, whether it is behavioral, whether it's a combination, that we do see um, uh, depression and anxiety reduce mm-hmm. and quality of life improve. Now, mm-hmm. this gets a little tricky. I am not saying that depression or anxiety is necessarily due to having migraine. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about this before in some in some of our interviews. They are comorbid. Mm-hmm. Comorbid means that these two conditions occur together at a higher rate than chance. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's that one causes the other. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's this one causes that one. So unidirectional, bidirectional, or a shared underlying reason. Mm-hmm. We don't always know. In the case of migraine and depression, we know that having either one before the other means that you have a liar likelihood of the second one showing up. Mm-hmm. So for people who had 
um, migraine, they were five times more likely than someone without migraine to have depression later. Right. For people who had depression, they were actually three and a half times more likely than someone without depression to have migraine later. Mm-hmm. But I don't mean that one is causing the other. Mm-hmm. They may have the same genetic predispositions. They both use have, kind of have similar neurotransmitters involved in their etiology and their pathophysiology. Mm-hmm. Um, they both come from kind of shared environmental reasons. So likely they have a shared underlying cause. And what tends to happen a bit is when any one of them improves, the others tend to improve a bit as well. So that's really nice. Okay. However, let's say anxiety is to the point where someone can hardly leave their house anymore, right. They're ha- which we call agoraphobia. Mm-hmm. They're having panic attacks. Right. They're afraid to go out in public. They're, it's affecting their job. They're losing their, they lose their job. It's affecting right. their marriage, their relationship. Right. I'm going to say that's really affecting life. Please get that really treated as the, okay. the target, okay. be it with a psychologist, a psychiatrist, primary okay. care. Okay. Same thing. Let's talk about depression. If depression right now is to the point where someone feels has suicidal thoughts mm-hmm. or even thinks they'd be better off not waking up tomorrow. Right. Or if someone is engaging in self-harm behaviors, mm-hmm. which are not depression, which are not suicidal gestures, they're harming oneself without the intent of suicide. Mm-hmm. That may be cutting or burning on the inner arms, the inner thighs, mm-hmm. um, other kinds of self-harm behaviors. All of these conditions are very treatable and manageable. And they don't feel like it when you're in it. Mm-hmm. They can be treated with combinations of, of CBT, mindfulness, biofeedback, okay. just like we treat migraine, okay. but that provider would focus right on those symptoms. Okay. And sometimes we'll also want to bring in a psychiatrist or primary care provider, an MD um, or a DO, but a mm-hmm. physician who's going to, or an NP or P, PA nurse practitioner, mm-hmm. psychiatric nurse, who's going to treat it with pharmacology, with medication. Right. So okay. I would ask each listener to think if this is you, mm-hmm. what level of risk are we talking about? Should okay. I be worried about you right now? Okay. If you're worried about yourself, and if I'd be worried about you, if we had a conversation right now, please seek out care for that specifically okay. now to start. So that's one okay. way to think about it. Okay. If, but when you think about people with migraine, um, you're going to think about one third are going to have depression, anxiety, or both. Mm-hmm. And then as you go up to chronic migraine with headache on 15 or more days per month, it goes up to about 50 to 80%. Okay. So. If you are listening right now and you're thinking, well, that sounds like me, I have depression, I have anxiety, mm-hmm. you are in the majority. The majority, yeah. However, you don't need to stay that way. We would right. love to help you get treated in a bunch of ways. Let's bring your migraine frequency down. Let's ramp up these kind of tools with CBT, biofeedback, mindfulness-based cognitive therapy. Let's kind of ramp up the tools. Let's think about you also need medication therapy. Let's get you treatment. So okay. just because it's comorbid doesn't mean I'm saying, oh, it's okay, not worry about it. Exactly. Still treat I think it. that's I think that's one of the things in the community we have to be careful about is not accepting it just because it's so common and just assuming that's how everyone is going to be 
uh, anxious and depressed. We don't need to accept it. There are things not at all we can do. I don't want exactly. any of this. Do not accept high frequency of migraine. Do not right. accept impact on your life. Do not accept right. depression, anxiety, right. any of this. Let's, we have the tools, the treatments to help just come seek, come find us because we want to help you. So right. let's work on treating everything. Now, not everyone can be, as I said, a hundred percent cured, right. but we can get to better place for almost everybody. Right. So this is an important question. I think that everyone always wonders is the goal um, of pain psychology in the setting of chronic migraine or debilitating headache disorders, et cetera. Do some people actually experience a decrease in the severity of their pain or their migraine um, or the frequency, or is the goal to teach people coping skills and then um, actually getting better physically is more of something that happens at the doctor's office with medications, et cetera. So both those things happen. So the the biobehavioral therapies for migraine that have been used and studied for about the past 50 or 60 years, which again are going to include biofeedback, cognitive behavioral therapy, relaxation therapy, have very good trials. When you go in to see a psychologist, either individual or group, they did clinical trials, they did studies of these kind of manualized anywhere between six and 12 session approaches mm -hmm. and did find both reduction in migraine attack frequency, mm -hmm. um, as well as improvements in quality of life, improvements of coping, how you look at things, kind of better distressed, higher distress tolerance, kind of lower impact, um, those sorts of things. More recent studies of the mindfulness-based therapies and acceptance and commitment therapy have really found a bit more improvement in the quality of life and reduction in the disability okay than necessarily the reduction in the in the headache day frequency okay but everyone's different right some ways that you might reduce that headache day frequency may be that practice of relaxation the biofeedback practice might kind of help calm the nervous system you might get better at noticing prodromal or early warning signs, when to take your medications, being more okay. adherent, quickly taking those those medications early when you need them um, in the acute phase. Um, you might have um, better healthy habits with kind of maintaining consistency in sleep, diet, nutrition, right. all those sorts of things may affect the actual number of mm -hmm. migraine attacks. But then there's all these other kind of skills about how we look at things, how we perceive things, what they mean to us, that we kind of start lowering our distress about it, um, improving at work and school and family and relationships. It may be that we become more assertive in asking for accommodations. Mm -hmm. It may be that we educate those around us and get our needs met. Um, there might be a we, we might become more self-confident, more self-efficacious, meaning we do more things to get to better outcomes. Right. Uh, maybe we change our way of thinking. So reduce the catastrophizing and improve our healthy ways of, of thinking about things. And all of those things can reduce disability and improve quality of life. Right, right. I mean, there's so many things that even in the way people think, um, no longer accepting some of the stigmatizing beliefs people throw on us, stuff like that, that actually can actually, I do believe, make you feel 
better. Um, oh, so some of the things you're saying, uh, as you're saying them, I'm like, yes, this can really help because there's a lot of things um, that just make you feel worse throughout your day mm. if you're not careful with your own mentality. Um, so I love, I love hearing you talk. Is there anything you else mentioned like sting and oh, stigma is highly associated with depression, anxiety, guilt, and embarrassment. Like mm -hmm. not that this is a chronic neurologic disease, which had a genetic predisposition, but that oh, I'm not coping well enough. Mm -hmm. I am not working hard enough. I'm not trying hard enough. That really self kind of taking on the blame and the guilt and the, the ultimate responsibility mm -hmm. for having migraine. Um, and that is something that is incredibly common. Mm -hmm. And we're learning more and more about stigma all the time, finding mm -hmm. that it's really associated with worse outcomes for a lot of reasons. We find that people who experience stigma do not seek medical care mm -hmm. at such high rates. So while we have treatments available, if someone doesn't feel that there are treatments or that treatments would help or doesn't kind of recognize they have migraine mm. or feels kind of guilty and it's just a personal failing and they're not getting treatment, they're not getting to better outcomes. Right. So stigma is really associated with a lot of negative outcomes. So it's very important that you and I are very clear with everyone listening right now, migraine is not your fault. Mm-hmm not a personal weakness or failing, right? It is a neurologic disease. And there are so many ways to improve management because we just want to empower every person to seek medical care, educate themselves, become a self-advocate. Mm -hmm. And whether it's through kind of self-learning and improving things, also getting to a doctor who really listens and cares and is going to help you get to optimize treatment. There's a lot of ways to get to better outcomes, but we're finding that stigma, self-stigma holds people back. Right. And I always like to say to people that um, don't fall into that trap uh, where you believe that uh, you failed at something when it comes to mentality and that's why uh, you're sick or someone is sending you to pain psychology or saying that you might be helped by it. Really what it is, is that we sort of have to be superheroes at this is, is how I see it. It's almost like you have to attain almost like a Buddha brain to really be your best when you are this sick um, because migraine and chronic pain is rough on your mind. And so that's why I feel these skills are so helpful. It's not because uh, any of us are, are really failing in any capacity at it. And so I always try to turn that around. Um, uh, it's not that any of us did anything wrong to get here. So Dr. Abuse, is there anything you'd like to add before we go today? Well, I'm really glad that you brought up this topic today. I think it's very common for people to hear uh, that they're gonna be referred to biobehavioral treatment, pain psychology, um, migraine psychology and worry that this means either their healthcare professional doesn't believe that they have right. a real biologic condition, mm -hmm. their healthcare professional is trying to pawn them off on someone else, mm -hmm. thinks that they have mental problems and they aren't coping well. Right. I'm really glad that we had this opportunity to talk about the fact that these are data supported. They mm -hmm. are in the guidelines, American Headache Society, National Headache Foundation, International Headache Society. They are in the main treatment guidelines side by side with medications, neurostimulation interventions. They're right up there mm -hmm. as main treatment approaches. 
There are some times in life when they're the first choice, right. pregnancy, pre-pregnancy, breastfeeding, cardiovascular mm. challenges. There's going to be times when these are just the best way to go. Mm. And we find that also they have lasting benefits. So most medications, when you stop them and they're out of your system, they don't continue to have the benefit. But learning these biobehavioral skills really can benefit someone for the duration of their disease for the rest of their life. So if you have the opportunity to try biobehavioral treatment for migraine, give it a try Mm -hmm. because it can have a lot of great outcomes for you. So thank you for letting us talk about this today. This is near and dear to my heart and Mm -hmm. very important. And I just am happy to have the opportunity to talk to the listeners today about this. Well, thank you so much for being here with us today, Dr. Buse. And thank you everyone for listening. I hope everyone found something helpful in today's episode. And please join us again next week on Headwise.